If you have thyroid problems, you know that depending on who you see, you're not always taken seriously. So many people, especially when they're dealing with thyroid autoimmunity, are told that there's nothing they can do, which is just so frustrating. But there is a ton that you can do. In cases of Hashimoto's, there is an autoimmune attack on the thyroid that will typically eventually make the thyroid more hypo. In other words, it would make it slower. The other thyroid autoimmune is Graves' disease, which will make the thyroid hyperactive or fast. What is very interesting though, and what many people don't realize, is that in many cases and at various times, Hashimoto's can also temporarily create a hyperactive thyroid or fast thyroid state, and it's important to distinguish which it is or if it's both so that you can properly support it and solve your mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know, because that was me, before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. When it comes to thyroid, there is a lot that can go awry. I talk a ton about Hashimoto's on the show, but Graves' disease, which is another thyroid autoimmune, tends to get less attention, but it is actually very important and can have huge impacts on health. Joining me on the show today to talk much more about this is Julie Keene. She is a fellow clinical nutritionist located in Los Angeles. She's been practicing for over 25 years and focuses on functional lab testing to optimize nutrition, supplements, and health. Julie finds lasting solutions for many professional athletes, high-functioning humans, and those dealing with complicated chronic health issues. Julie, I am so excited to finally get you on. I know it's been a little while. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm super excited and I love this topic. (laughs) Well, thank you. Me too. So just to make sure everyone is on the same page, let's start with what is Graves' disease? Graves, most people know of it as hyperthyroid instead of hypothyroid. And it's where the immune system attacks the thyroid, uh, much like Hashi's, but also different. So it attacks the TSH, the the thyroid stimulating hormone receptors on the thyroid gland, which causes what are called TSHR antibodies to be formed, and also the TSA, which are immunoglobulins, and then it affects our binding also. So it basically means the antibodies are attacking our thyroid, and before the thyroid gets destroyed, we have symptoms of hyperthyroid is the easiest way to explain it, rather than heart palps and all those things, rather than the sluggishness and the fatigue that people usually feel with Hashimoto's, but also it can look like both for a time before it goes into full graves. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you're mentioning that because there is so much confusion with that. You know, a lot of people think that graves is fast thyroid and Hashimoto's is slow thyroid, but there's a lot of nuances there and it's not always the case. And a lot of times, like you said, yeah, Graves, it's going to go up and down. And in Hashimoto's also, we can go up and down because in the same way as in Graves, as the thyroid gets destroyed, sometimes the destruction process itself, if someone is having a flare-up, is going to create hyper symptoms, even for someone in Hashimoto's. Typically, it's shorter term, whereas Graves, it's going to be more longer term. 
But that's a really, really good point. So what are some of the symptoms of Graves? You mentioned a few, but let's go through some of the main ones just so people know. One thing I want to mention, because I've seen this in in a lot of patients now, and I don't treat, I don't like support a lot of people going through Graves. And I I always send them to a doctor to work um, with me at the same time, or they can go the endocrinology, the Western route. But what I've seen is an almost, um, people feel really great, like almost manic, like they don't need a lot of sleep. They have great energy. They have a good mood. And then that starts to turn into like an anxiety with the heart palpitations. And then this sort of the drops with the fatigue and the weight king comes in the slow, foggy brain. And then I, so it's kind of like an up and down thing that I've noticed just because some of these people I've They've been with me for so long that I've been able to watch it on labs and how they feel, because that's something we track in my practice is not just food and macros, but how do you feel? What's going on? Which has been kind of cool to see over the past like 10 to 20 years. The symptoms that that most people are classically looking for with Graves are things like irregular rapid heartbeat, palpitations, um, tremors in the hands. Anxiety and irritability is a big one. Weight loss, despite eating normally, and some people feel like they're starving and they're still losing weight. Heat sensitivity, sweating, hot flashes, muscle weakness, hair loss. You could see a goiter or an enlarged thyroid gland. I saw one of the actresses I work with on TV, and I could see in her neck from through the TV, and I don't even watch that much TV, and it was small. I could see that. She had a goiter. So I emailed her. You did. Isn't that funny? And we had her tested and she's like, yeah, I've been gaining weight like crazy. It had probably been two years since I had seen her last. Yeah, it was full on starting of Graves. And I could see from the goiter that her doctor didn't even check, apparently. Mm. Um, So other things are change in menstrual cycle. Like if your cycle's super, super light all of a sudden, or not coming at the same times when you're usually regular, that's something to look for. No sex drive or low sex drive, diarrhea, IBS type symptoms that you didn't have before. And some people do have them before. And I'll get into that later, the GI underlying symptoms, but fatigue, insomnia. I've seen weak and cracking nails a lot also, but I don't know if it's directly related or just related to the nutrients that they're missing. It can cause a lot of miscarriage, infertility issues, but we don't, we don't, of course, there's no causal proof of that, but, and then decreased bone density and showing minerals, low calcium minerals being off, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is so good to know. And some of those symptoms are somewhat similar to some of the other thyroid issues, um, but a lot of them, um, as you mentioned, are really more of the fast thyroid symptoms. So that's really good to know. So what tests are done to diagnose Graves? If someone is wondering, do they have Hashimoto's? Do they have Graves? What do they need to do? And conventionally, how is it diagnosed? Great question. So I think that in my opinion, every physician should be doing a full thyroid panel on people at least once every year or two, especially once we get into our 30s and beyond. Even with no symptoms, I think we could all benefit from that. And I've been saying that for like 20 years. You are speaking my language. Thank you. you. It's not that expensive. Literally, it's under $100 for the basics, which are free T3, free T4, T3. So the total T3 and the total T4, although 
We don't need need those. Some of the panels don't even include those anymore, the more functional panels. We need TSH, which is what most doctors just do TSH, and once in a while they'll do a T4, which is the inactive hormone. So that doesn't help us. But And then they need thyroid peroxidase, uh, peroxidase antibodies, the TPOs and the thyroglobulin antibodies. And then if you really think it, it might be Graves or you... If you have Hashis like I have Hashis, I test for Graves every time because I just want to know if something starts changing. And those usually are something called a, a TBII and TSI antibodies. And TSI is elevated in more than 90% of people with Graves disease. So that's a pretty good marker. Yeah. And I think so many people who have thyroid issues are going to do the full panel if their doctor allows, right? But the antibodies that are tested are usually the Hashimoto's antibodies, the TPO and thyroglobulin that you mentioned, but TSI is hardly ever tested. Unless I requested and I tell people go get a full thyroid panel, that's not going to be tested. So I think that's really smart for everyone to test just to see. And have you seen people have both Hashimoto's and Graves? I have. Have you? Me too. Mm-hmm. I see both. It's not as common, but I do see both. Yeah. And and again, I'm not sure that that's not that transition. I do think if we were to, going back in time, have left grave, graves alone a little longer instead of reacting so quickly and getting rid of the thyroid, I think that we would have seen more people were, like you said earlier, transitioning through the hyper and then going into hypo. Yeah, but I think it's having both antibodies, right, that they would need to see. But even that, I've seen both. I've seen both, yeah. And that's what I was saying is maybe that just means like if I were to get Graves down the road, well, yeah, I would have Hashis and Graves then. But if I never had, if I never had been tested and I had both antibodies, I would think maybe I'm just like, it's, I'm just sort of cycling through something, right? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean for sure. Yeah. So, once Graves is diagnosed and say someone is going to see, you know, their conventional primary or endocrinologist, how is it addressed? What are the solutions that are offered at this point conventionally? So like conventionally, I was taught, I'm sure you were in nutrition, in our science nutrition um, pre-med was don't go near a Graves patient. You send them to an endocrinologist immediately because it can be so dangerous with everything speeding up and the heart, the um, nervous system stuff. And so I think most doctors panic and what they do is they use thyroid uh, repressing hormone medication. They usually sometimes a beta blocker to slow down the heart palpitations. Um, so they're treating the symptoms with that stuff, which you would think would be temporarily, but that just depends. And then they nuke the thyroid. So they literally destroy the thyroid, which means then people are going to be on hormones the rest of their life, thyroid hormones to just keep, and they're going to wind up going hypothyroid because you just killed their thyroid. So that's where it usually goes. If I left anything out, feel free to jump in. Yeah, no, of course. And that, I mean, is not a very happy sounding proposition, no, right? Now, can no. you just explain a little bit just to make sure that everyone understands? And because I was taught the same um, and many doctors are, you know, if you see a grace patient, you run far away and you send them out. And the reason why that's taught, can you talk a little bit about why is that dangerous if it's not supported? Just to make sure people really see how this is related. 
I think it's because what I was told is that they could have cardiac issues, mm-hmm. right? If it goes untreated, that thing speed up so fast, the system is getting flooded with um, thyroid hormones, and which speed things up. And I was told that it could be life-threatening. Correct. Yeah, me too. And, you know, I think that sometimes people with Graves don't always understand that. And it is important to know that, yes, of course, there's ways we can support that, but it is not good, um, more so than not good. It is it is dangerous, in fact, um, for your body to have that much thyroid hormone. Like you said, your heart rate's going up, your blood pressure's going up. Um, it's going to create hypertrophy in a lot of your organs. And sometimes, especially as it starts, sometimes people actually feel good because they feel like, oh, I have more energy. I don't need as much sleep. That's right? what I was saying at the start. The, mani- the mania. The mania. Yeah. And they're like, oh my yeah. God, you're a great nutritionist. <laughs> <laughs> but even in the beginning stages, right, you're still having borderline high thyroid hormone. And so there is a big danger to the body for that. So that's why I think so many people are taught that. But with that said, you know, as you mentioned, mentioned getting the thyroid nuked, um, doing, you know, some of the suppression medicine. I mean, yes, I could see that in one way, but is there another way, right? Is there something that we can do? What can we do holistically to work on that? Let's talk about that. Yeah. So what I do is I always will show the client their lab, say, look, this is what I suspect. You definitely have a thyroid issue here. You definitely looks autoimmune. I think you should get an endocrinologist, but if it looks more like a Graves picture to me, which there are other labs like high ALT is one of the liver enzymes with the other two normal shows me that the body's working to try and clear out some of that thyroid hormone, high phosphorus, um, high sex hormone binding globulin. If I see things like that, then I'm going to talk to the person and say, look, I, I think you should see a integrative doctor somebody who's experienced with graves. And there are not that many that I was able to find, but there are a few that I've worked in conjunction with. And then we work on underlying issues. So we're looking at infections, gut pathogens, um, intestinal permeability. We're looking at stress. We're looking at hormone imbalance. And that's a chicken and egg one where you don't know Did the thyroid cause the adrenals and the hormones, sex hormones to go out of balance or vice versa? And I think stress is at at the bottom of many of these after things like the infections and environmental like mold and uh, mercury, metals, um, glyphosate, things like that, that we can now test for, which is great. And then there's like herbs, you know, there's supplements. When it comes to graves, I don't even um, recommend the supplements myself. I send the labs to a doctor I trust, and if the patient wants to go see that doctor, they can. Those doctors use things like herbs to slow down the thyroid and to help with the symptoms like um, bugleweed, uh, motherwort. I've seen L-carnitine used. I've seen potassium iodide, even like Lugol's with lithium for symptom remission, but I've seen it make it worse and better. So you have to work super closely with an experienced doctor for this. There are supplements more specific for blocking the thyroid hormone and sort of slowing things down. And then you want to support nutrients, bone density, you want to get those tested and and optimize that. And you've got to start going after those underlying conditions. And hopefully, if you have the right team in place, you can get all those things sort of managed and back to functioning correctly. And then you can look at the Graves 
labs and the symptoms and decide with your, your endocrinologist. I do know of one that's more integrative around the LA, Southern California area, but maybe you know of some. You can look with them at what your plan is going to be like medically. And I do get a lot of people once they've already had it taken out, the thyroid has been nuked and we just do the best we can from there to optimize. I've also lately been seeing great studies and um, great case studies on LDN for Graves and hypothyroid, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're saying is that the approach is twofold. So similar to what the approach would be like in Hashimoto's, where first and foremost, we look at the immune system, right? Because it's the immune system that's creating the attack. It's not the thyroid that just decided to become fast. It's the immune system that's overstimulated essentially, right? And so all of those triggers you mentioned, like stress and toxins and infections and foods. So similarly to how we would go about it with Hashimoto's, we would do the same there because coming down the immune system is number one because that's at the core. But then along with that, some of the herbs that can maybe have a blocking effect on thyroid hormone and then also botanicals and things that can be more balancing to the immune system as well. Um, with that though, people do need to retest pretty often just to see how they're doing, right? Oh yeah. Great point. So every two to three months with Graves, if not more, some do it every month to just make sure that, and, and most people can feel when it's really going like flaring and yeah, most the integrative doctors have them test very often to make sure it's going in the right direction. And then things like GI map for gut testing, hormone, adrenal testing, all that stuff. I like to do them every six months, but if needed, we could do them a little sooner because they're expensive. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, as you address some of the triggers, you want to make sure that you're looking to see, okay, well, did it work? What we did, do we need to address more? Sometimes it's like peeling away an onion, right? We maybe do something about, say, H. pylori, which is a big trigger for all types of autoimmunity, Hashimoto's for sure, but um, there's a connection there with Graves as well. And, you know, you kill off H. pylori and then, wow, now there's yeast that we couldn't see before, or there could be Blastocystis hominis or another parasite that could have been hiding. And all of these things can be triggers. That's a great point. I've seen H. pylori a lot with the Graves patients and I've seen the Klebsiella, the Citrobacter, those sort of immune, immune triggering bacteria in the gut. And I see leaky gut in general a lot with that. Do you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. if they're going to have the infections, right, then typically those infections over time and whatever dysbiosis they have is just going to create those leaks. True. Another big one that I would say to test for if you're having any kind of thyroid issue that you've probably said in your podcast is especially with graves is viruses, right? Look at Epstein-Barr, look at the herpes viruses, the one, the two, the five, like all of them. Look at cytomegalovirus. I think those are really connected somehow. So let's talk about that a little bit. I do talk about viruses a lot, but I think this is just a good place to speak about it in a little bit more depth. So for viruses, how do you feel like those are connected? I feel like those keep our immune system super busy. And because a lot of them, you might have gotten Epstein-Barr in high school, like mono or something or college, a lot of them seem to go dormant in the background, right? And I think our immune system gets very confused between <laughs> fighting a virus, fighting our own thyroid. I've even read that some of the theories that the um, virus is actually gathering in certain organs like the thyroid or the liver or wherever I've, I mean, there's so many connections lately that I've seen with 
the candida and the viruses and all of that stuff that is really exciting because we always knew there had to be a reason for this, right? There had to be underlying causes. The thyroid doesn't just go crazy on its own for no reason, right? So yeah, that's how I see the viruses being related. Is there a viral panel that you run? I know you mentioned a few different viruses, but if someone was to say go to their doctor, would they have to specifically tell their doctor, I want to be tested for this virus and this virus and this virus? Or is there maybe a panel that you use that includes them all? And then as they test for viruses, are they looking for IgG antibodies, which is the past? Or are they looking for IgM, which is more of the current infection? What are you finding to be most helpful? I usually just list the viruses. I had a viral panel with a lab that I put together and I've listened to some of your podcasts on um, Epstein-Barr. Epstein-Barr, Dr. Kasha Kynes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I kind of went down and made a list of what she said. And I have always just said, ask your doctor for IgG and IgM on, and I mean, we're going back like 20 years. So the doctors think I'm crazy. They probably still do, but they the ones who know me will test it now because, because I'm asking them to and because they often turn up positive. Some of them will say, I don't want to test it because I don't, there's nothing to do if it's positive. And I hate that answer because I've had it, I've had them myself. And I think that's, that's just silly. Of course there is, but they just don't know that. Right. So Exactly. Well, that's the thing. I think that's where a lot of the pushback is. I mean, even with thyroid numbers, a lot of doctors say, well, I'm not going to test your total T3 or your, you know, whatever other thyroid hormone because there's nothing you can do. And it's like, no, actually there is a lot you can do. Or the other thing people say is I'm not going to test that because it doesn't show us anything. I know. (laughs) I hate that. I don't know if I should laugh or cry when I hear that kind of both, I think. It makes me so angry. And sad because it's not true. If I send a patient back with the full thyroid panel and I'm looking for all the antibodies on the first one because I see I see thyroid symptoms and I see other labs that indicate. So I write a nice letter and I send it a nice template I use and I put in just a few indicators that the reason I'm asking them to ask for these labs. Some doctors are okay, they just do it, they charge insurance, but I would say more than half just write back there's no indicators for this or, and just because they don't know something doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? So I just tell the patient, you might need a new doctor. If they're not willing to open their eyes and look at the research that's around, then you might need a new doctor. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And then the other option that people have in most states is they can order their own blood work or you know, I can sometimes write blood work. I mean, unfortunately, can't go through their insurance just because with the way the licensure works as nutritionists, we can't write a script for blood work, but we can write scripts for cash blood work. Um, we could do that uh, at least here in any state except um, New-, New York, New Jersey, and Rhode Island. Yeah. And that's, I mean, under, like you said, under $100, you can get everything. And for some people, Yes, it's money out of pocket. And especially if someone pays insurance, I get it, right? Like, I, I, you know, I don't want to spend money if I'm paying for insurance. But if you think about the headache, right, of trying to find a doctor, maybe the doctor is not close to you. So then you have to spend time traveling, gas traveling there, right? Then you have to ask them and they may or may not be able to do it. And then just if you think about all of that frustration and the time. And I always tell people, like, time is actually a bigger currency than money. Totally. It's opportunity lost cost, right? Yeah. So then I'm um, just going back to the viruses. 
so people can get their IgG and IgMs. And I know that many doctors say there's nothing you can do, but obviously, as we were saying, there is. So if someone does have a flare-up, say, of Epstein-Barr or um, one of the herpes viruses, what are some of the things that you like to do to support that to then also in turn help the immune system with thyroid? There's a lot of uh, immune building supplements that I use, different combinations. But first, I will usually, if the doctor has done the lab testing or if they have a doctor who I think will at least be open, like some of the doctors locally here are actually my clients. So they believe me. They will, they've, a couple of them have learned how to use LDN. They use that. Two of them just started using bioidentical hormones. So I get that they're open to it, then I will say, you know, could we use like an antiviral? And I personally have seen this as one of the cases where Western medicine works quicker and sometimes more efficiently than the antiviral supplements like Lomatium or um, things like that. So that's what I usually will do is try to go through either their own doctor or uh, if they want to see a doctor who's amenable to thinking about antivirals. I've seen valcyclovir and I I can never say that one, acyclovir, I think it is, um, work really well. So um, that's usually, but it's, and along with a lot of them have yeast also. So if they can get a good prescription for an antiviral like those and Daflucan or Nystatin or, or a combo of both, like alternating, I see great results in calming down Hashis. Now with Graves, I don't get that involved with the medication or or the supplements because of just the danger in it. And I'm just trying to be really careful with that one. But once they're under control, like it took about, I, the last client I saw with this and we just found it on routine labs. I found the the Graves, it looked like a Graves-like syndrome. The doctor confirmed, yeah, you have Graves. It was under control within six months. Like it, in the minute we took her off whatever she was taking, that was making it worse. And then two years later, so that was 2018, the last lab I saw was back to normal, no sign of Graves, but but some like sort of hypo, more hypothyroid looking symptoms, which we knew was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So basically you said that you initially saw TSI antibodies indicating Graves and then those antibodies were gone two years later, right? Well, actually I didn't even see TSI. I saw all the other numbers were looking like a Graves picture, including a TSH that was below 0.1, like you couldn't find it. And then everything else was pretty much high. And then that I sent her to the doctor, he did the TS, TSI and the TBII and the TSI was high. The TBII was not, it was not super high, but it was high enough to say, yeah, you have Graves. And he, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, if the TSI is above range, right, that's all you need. You don't need it to be in the thousands, right? Exactly. In my opinion. Yeah. And that's enough for them to, to nuke your thyroid for sure and put you on the meds. So he said, I'll give you three months if we can't start seeing some move or some movement downward or we see more symptoms, you have to go to an endocrinologist. And he's a licensed medical doctor, but again, we're all being very careful. This is kind of new, right? To even consider doing this is pretty new. And most people aren't talking about it, it when they're doing it because of the way the medical establishment treats this and classifies it. And even our functional nutrition teachers will say, be careful, don't do that. 
Right, right. It's like, don't touch graves. But yes, I think yeah. the the key is just to have them be monitored by a doctor, get their lab test, and then, you know, and I agree, like, give it a couple of months. Let's see if we could get it down as long as in those three months, the symptoms aren't so, so high and the thyroid hormones aren't completely through the roof, right? Because you will see once you start to support the immune system, they do start to trickle down and typically. So and sometimes it's that combination approach. Yeah, they totally did. That person had an incredible, she's kind of, she's in the public eye and she had an incredible mindset about like, instead of thinking, I'm so sick, this is so scary. She more like I, when I was sick, I thought I'm healing, I'm healing, I'm healing. Every time I had a thought about some ache or pain or symptom, I would say, I'm healing, I'm healing. And hers was like, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to beat this. And she, and I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. And she got better. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. Like as of the last, the last labs I saw were 2020. So right before COVID happened, but um, I've seen her around. She seems to be doing really well. And she still has her thyroid, which is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Because if we can get that immune attack down, right, then it should ease up. Now, of course, I think it's important for people to know that it is an ongoing process with Graves as it is with Hashi's. You know, so a lot of times people say, oh, okay, my antibodies are down to zero or they're down to, you know, however low they can be. And that's fantastic. But you still want to continue your lifestyle, your stress management and the nutrition and everything else only because triggers can come. You know, sometimes if someone's trigger was say mercury fillings, right? So you got that removed, you healed everything and things are down, but then you go and have a baby, right? Well, postpartum, that could be another trigger, right? So things come up. So I think it's important. You know, I think it's sort of that mindset of you got this, right? We could do it. But then once we're there, we still, you know, we don't want to live in fear, but at the same time, we want to just be mindful that other triggers can come. So, you know, like we say, we're in remission, right? We can't say there's a cure, but sometimes things can come out of remission, but that doesn't mean we can't go back in. Would you agree? Yes, I totally. I think of it more like a flare, right? And like, we have a bucket of stressors, body burden, toxins, all the stuff that could make us sick. And we all have our threshold of where that bucket starts to tip, right? Or spill over. And we just have to keep working at emptying the junk out of the bucket and keeping it clean and manageable, a load that we can, that our body can carry, right? And then also filling our body with the healthy stuff, good thoughts and healthy foods and nutrients, protein, quality protein and healthy fats and veggies and make sure that our detoxification channels are are clear and, and doing labs like regularly, at least the ones that everybody needs. I do have those up on Ulta labs and I'll, I post them, you know, from time to time when I remember, but um, I have a basic panel that is the very least everybody should do on Ulta. And it's like $115, right? And I encourage people to look at that. And then I have my nutrition panel, which is what I do. And I have Kaiser insurance. You mentioned I pay a lot of money because I'm in my 50s for my husband and I to have insurance as our own business owners, right? I still will just buy my labs on Ulta or another lab, whatever lab has the best prices at the time. And I do specialty lab testing regularly. And I pay naturopathic doctors to stay healthy because I was really sick in my 40s with mold, viruses, like all the stuff. And I'm just not willing to go back there. I'm, it's just, it's worth it to me 
the price is not just money. The price is, like you said, the opportunities lost, not being able to work, not being able to help people, not being able to enjoy my family or my life or any of that stuff. So I encourage you guys, if you're hesitant because you feel like your insurance should pay for it, they're not going to most likely. Don't let that stop you. Find the people you can trust and order the tests and get your health straightened out. The sooner, the better, especially with like COVID and what's going on with the world. We all need to be as resilient as we can be right now. Yeah, 100%. Now let's talk about iodine a little bit. You mentioned it earlier, but I want to go back to it, but just that's an important one. And iodine, I don't know, I think controversial is probably the right word to use here because <laughs> depending on who you talk to, people either love it or hate it. Now, I talk a lot on the show about iodine being a potential trigger for Hashimoto's. There's a ton of studies. Now, this isn't just something I'm saying. A lot of people are saying it too. I mean, I learned it from my mentor, right? So it's... um you know, I didn't just make this up. And while iodine is good for thyroid itself, when there's autoimmunity, that's not the case for Hashi's at least. So what about Graves? Do you feel like it helps or hinders? You know, you're right. It is controversial. Way back, we were taught by doctors like Dr. Dr. David Brownstein, and there are whole Facebook groups about how iodine is the solution for Hashimoto's. And there are other... Other people like then Dr. Karazian came like maybe five, 10 years later, and he was teaching iodine can be dangerous. It can, it can make Hashi's worse. It can cause a flare. And I think they're both right. I think it depends on our body, our biochemistry, how much iodine do we have? Are we able to, how are the receptors? Are we able to have uptake of that? And how does it affect our thyroid, right? So uh, there are studies that show that some doctors have successfully used potassium iodide, which is something like Lugol's. And I believe there's one study with a tablet, but Lugol's is a typically a liquid that people get in a dropper and it's pretty high dose. So they use lithium orotate, the natural one, not the carbon, not the medication one with potassium iodide for symptom remission on graves specifically. And then some also add in the thyroid, the thyroid hormone blocking meds. I have personally seen patients do that, and I've seen some get better and some get worse. I have not seen any where it doesn't do anything. So I found that pretty interesting. That is interesting. This would probably also be interesting to see with people who have just Graves or Graves and Hashimoto's because it might help Graves, but if it flares up Hashimoto's and the flare-up can actually cause your thyroid to spill its hormones, right? So then you're getting a hyper incident, but it's from a Hashi flare, not a Graves flare. So it's probably hard to know what's what at that point. I, I agree. And that's where I just pretty much if they already are having Hashis or Graves, Graves, I, I stay away from it and I let the doctor deal with that. But I do like to test iodine in, in these people with thyroid issues to see where they're at. We don't have super accurate thyroid tests that that I know of at this point, but there, there are some that you can do. And I do try to make sure that they at least have the basics from the amount you would have in a multivitamin or that they're not super deficient. 
Yeah. And so are you using blood? Or are you using urine? Is it a 24-hour urine? Because there's a lot of ways to test iodine. I haven't done one in a couple of years, but the last one I did was a 24-hour, like a urine challenge. Yeah. I've done those two, not in a while either, just because I found them to be confusing and I don't know how I feel about them because, um, yeah, for exactly the reasons you mentioned. But yes, I remember doing that on myself and <laughs> Me too. seeing that I was very deficient. So this was very, I mean, we're going back 15 years. Then taking high-dose iodine, boy, did I have a flare-up. Now, I didn't even know at that point that I was having a flare-up. My thyroid swelled. I had so many symptoms. And I mean, again, this is a long time ago. I was just starting my practice. I didn't know everything I know about thyroid. So I didn't even know that that's what it was, but that did not work for me. Um, but you know, everyone is different. That's when they were telling us to treat people that way. And I didn't do it on myself because I didn't even have Hashi's when I first started, but I would try with other people, the higher doses, not the huge, huge doses that they have, but you, there's a co-infection issue with iodine, right? Mm-hmm. If I have seen very clearly that if you don't have certain B vitamins that a lot of us don't have, if we don't, if we don't methylate well and zinc and selenium. Like, selenium is a big one. Yeah. You definitely, I like to get selenium levels checked, but again, blood levels of selenium, we're not sure how accurate those are, but at least then you have a a baseline. Also zinc is a big one. You have a baseline so that you can at least see in the blood, you know, if it's going lower or higher. And if you're taking it, you can kind of track it. I hope somebody comes up with, and if anybody knows of a more accurate test for those nutrients, we used to do. I do hair testing and I feel like I have very good results with that. I mean, it's a little different, but. That is true. I love the hair mineral, but I was told that selenium is the only one that can be affected by like shampoos or something. Correct. Well, so, and actually with that, you will be able to see that very quickly. So there's a few shampoos like um, Selsum Blue which contains selenium in it for dandruff. So any dandruff shampoo. And so typically if someone uses that, you will see selenium levels way off the chart, like to levels to the point where like you can't even interpret it. And that's when you know it's affected. But um, otherwise, you know, if the levels are low, they're low. And if they're a little high, then they'll be like slightly over. But if it's affected by shampoo, it's going to be like 10 times. And so you'd know right away and it's affected. But I always tell people to use, um, you know, just a regular shampoo, not anti-dandruff shampoo. And that takes care of it. But we see those change a lot. Um, I do a ton of hair testing and some, some, you know, people are low in selenium and we supplement for three months retest and we see it go up. Zinc, the same thing. So many people have copper toxicity or just copper excess. And so we do extra zinc to push out the copper along with some other minerals. And we see the changes. That's actually something I had personally uh, back in like 2002 when I started my own health journey. I had really high copper and because of that in relatively low zinc and I've saved all my tests. I tested every three months for a year and a half. And it's amazing. Like you just see those changes. And then ever since I got rid of that excess copper, it's been completely normal. It's never shot back up. That's awesome. Cause you kept your zinc up too, right? And you're careful yeah. about copper, I guess. Yeah. That can make, that can make people really not feel good at all. Oh gosh. So many symptoms with that. And I think for copper, and it's really common, I see probably one in like every four people. And there's a lot of thyroid correlation, I think with both Graves and Hashimoto's with that just being a talk, it's a mineral obviously, but it almost acts as a toxic metal when it's too high. So there's a lot of different symptoms. And for a lot of people, I think that it has to do with past exposure. So maybe it's, you know, copper pipes in an old building where they lived, birth control pills, um, and certain things like that. Uh, Yeah. You know what though? 
what's interesting is, and I've tested this many times because I was sure that, hey, if someone has a copper IUD, they must have high copper. I have never seen that. I have in the older versions, the first versions they came out with. Mm. And I can't, the first one I started using was hair mineral testing. That was my first lab that I learned. Mine too. Do you use the ARL or the um, Great Plains or which one? I use Trace, Trace Elements, Dr. Watts. Yeah. He, he's like the grandfather of hair testing. He, I mean, I don't know if he came up with it, but he has the book on hair mineral analysis and like his laboratory has been, dude, like that's all they do. So I like them because it's their bread and butter. They don't do other tests. Like it's just that and that's it. ARL doesn't either. And they claim that Dr. Eck is the grandfather, but I know there's like probably, I will, I would love, I'm going to look at that and see how it compares to the the ARL that I've been using. But yeah, have you seen a link between high copper and chemical dependency? I've seen that huge. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yes. And I've seen that since the start and it's never gone away. If I know somebody is recovering or trying to get off alcohol or drugs and I, I do the hair mineral, always the copper is high, like maybe 96%, I would say. I have seen that too. Definitely. Yeah. It's amazing, right? Because- the copper makes you irritated or to say the least. And then of course you got to take something to try and self-medicate. Right. Right. And some people, of course, you know, in terms of how people's cravings are, they may be more prone to some of those cravings. So oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Food cravings, um, um, eating disorders too. I see it often, but not as often as in chemical dependency. A good, good podcast for a mystery, right? Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. For sure. We'll have to do that. You know, but I think just circling back to graves, um, you know, as we wrap up here, I think that what's important for people to understand is that graves is certainly not something to joke about, right? Which is why, you know, people are told, you know, you need to see a specialist. And, you know, certainly you and I are not arguing that. But I think what we're saying is that there are other things that can be done in conjunction to some of the medical interventions. And I think the biggest question that I get, and I know we've talked in the pre-chat, you get that too, is people say, is getting my thyroid out or getting my thyroid nuked or however you want to say that, is that the only answer for graves? And I think that the biggest point you know, we're trying to make is that it may be necessary for some, but it is not the only answer. And there's other things that people can do, or at least try at first before jumping to that right away. I agree. Unless their thyroid is too out of control, right? And that's not very often because the symptoms are such that they make us very uncomfortable. The most I hear is people going to the ER thinking they're having a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Or a heart attack. Or a heart attack too. Yeah, right. but typically, and I think this is where the testing comes in, typically it does start out a little slower, right? Like most people aren't just like nothing and then boom, right? I think it starts to build. A lot of people just miss that because they're not testing for these things annually or often enough. So I think that's the other thing that's important to know is it depends on how far it's gone, how fast your thyroid really is. You know, that's what I was saying that I think it depends on the person, but especially if you catch it in the earlier stages, typically you can do a little bit of both, some of the more conventional, but also some of the more kind of functional holistic approaches. You have a better chance of saving your thyroid, like the client that I was just talking about. And the I said the Thyroid panel was around $100, I think, maybe a little over, but then that TSI and the TB2, that special one for Graves is more like $250. But still, $250 to know if you have something that serious 
is probably worth it or bring the symptoms that we listed to your doctor and then ask them to test for graves, right? You can tell them you have it in your family or Hashimoto's in your family or something and just see if they will cover it on your insurance. Yeah. And I think when it comes to graves, doctors are definitely open to that. They may not want to run a full thyroid panel. I get that. But if you go to your doctor and say, I have these hyper symptoms, I want to test for graves. I'm not sure. You know, I don't think doctors will deny it because that's, yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's it's good to know. Yeah. (laughs) Real quick. I wanted to mention with the iodine, spirulina is very high in iodine and a lot of people, especially vegans, vegetarians are taking way too much of it. And I believe in that one client of mine, that's definitely, it was a lot of stuff, including mold exposure and GI pathogens. But I think the spirulina every single day for a long time, high doses is what really pushed her into the thyroid attack of the Graves-like syndrome that whatever it was that she had. Mm, That is really good to know because how many people take spirulina? A lot. And so many people think the more the better, right? (laughs) Like many other things. Exactly. That's really, really good to know. She was trying to eat enough of that to get 30 grams of protein three times a day. And so I didn't do the math, but it was probably five times what the company recommended in a day, which is not really that much more. A lot of people, more is better. So that's within um, the purview of most of us, I think, Mm -hmm. especially if it's something you like the taste of. So just be careful with that, you guys. That is a a very, very good tip. Thank you so much for that. And Julie, it has been such a pleasure to chat with you today and talk more about graves because it's a topic, like I was saying, it's just not covered that often, but it is very important. And a lot of people can have the start of it and not realize And the earlier that we see it, the more that we can do. So thank you so much for being here. And Julie, tell everyone how people can find you, connect with you. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I love talking about nutrition. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Julie Keen Nutritionist. You could find me on TikTok, uh, the Los Angeles Nutritionist, or actually it's Los Angeles Nutritionist, one word. My website is juliekeen.com. And I have a group uh, program starting soon where we're going to do labs. Everybody's going to do some lab panels that I created if they want to. And then I'm going to walk through how to change your nutrition, your supplements and your lifestyle based on your results. And everyone will get a report from me of basic action steps. Excited for that. That sounds wonderful. We'll post all of that in the show notes. Thank you. And I love that you're on TikTok. I think I'm, (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, I haven't gotten to that yet. It's kind of fun. I don't dance or anything, but I skateboard and I just um, talk about nutrition and yeah, it's a lot to learn. All of it is, but especially in 55 years old, but. Oh my gosh. I love it. See, I feel like I'm too old for TikTok, but I love hearing that you're on it. So Maybe we'll do it. I think you'll love it. (laughs) Yeah. Call me. I'll totally help you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you so much. It was so good to have you and we will chat soon. Thank you. As you just heard, there are definitely things that could be done for Graves disease. And just like Hashimoto's, it is about supporting the immune system while also balancing the thyroid. If your thyroid is hyper, it is first important to evaluate if it is Graves disease or a Hashimoto's flare-up, or perhaps even if it's both. In Graves, the stakes are a bit higher, so to speak, as a fast thyroid can cause many serious problems it needs to be addressed right away. With that said, though, depending on how fast the thyroid is and how long it has been going on, 
there may be natural solutions to help balance it while you're doing things to slow it down. If you're dealing with graves, please be sure that you work with an endocrinologist, but also, if at all possible, a functional doctor or a nutritionist to support the immune system. And if you have Hashimoto's, please remember that when it flares, you may have a period of hyperthyroid symptoms. Remember that not all hypersymptoms automatically equate to graves. So testing the antibodies is key so that you know exactly what's going on. If you know someone that is dealing with Hashimoto's or Graves' disease or any thyroid issue in general, please share this episode with them. And please be sure to subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. As always, when it comes to your health issues, please, please don't give up. There are things that you can do. There are answers out there. And there certainly is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.